The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome uh, once again, Disability Law Show. John Scholes here, and of course, Savannah Tamarkin alongside answering all the emails and questions. Reaching out is really simple. And you want to keep this number with you anytime, pass it along to a friend or family member, colleague that is having issues with their disability insurer. And that is 1 855 821 5900. Real simple. Help at disabilityrights.ca, the email address. You can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. I know we're going to refer to that several times over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Mydisabilityquestions.com. That is where you can put your questions and type them in and ask uh, Savannah, a member of his uh, team at the firm, to answer them. You can also search for your question to see if something similar has been asked in the past. So it's kind of a it's a wonderful tool, that algorithm, so you can use that any time you like. But let's get going here. So, man, what do you got for us, pal? How are you? I'm good, John. Let's start off with a uh, question that was posted from Reg in uh, Calgary, uh, and, and it was posted to mydisabilityquestions.com. Yep. Yep. Uh, and here's the question that Reg asks. He says, I am on long-term disability. Do I have to authorize the plan administrator to obtain information from other sources for my long-term disability claim? if I am willing to provide it to them myself. So this is a question that comes up often where people contact me and say, look, I can get those medical documents from my doctor, from the hospital, from the clinic, to my insurance company, but yet they are insisting on me signing a blanket authorization that gives them complete unfettered access uh, you know, to get this information directly. And what I tell people is, look, you need to understand that your relationship with your insurance company is contractual. The LTD policy is the document that sets out your obligations and your rights. And same goes for the insurance company. It sets out their obligations towards you as an insured, as a claimant, and uh, their rights in terms of the information they're entitled to. So you'll see if you go through your LTD policy that it does contain provisions that entitle them to documentation and information that allows them to assess whether or not you are disabled and remain disabled under the policy. Now, one of the things that they often do is they read into that kind of a provision a blanket right to get unfettered ask, uh, uh, access to all of your medical documents. And, and that is simply not true. Unless it's explicitly stated in the policy that you have to give them this blanket authorization, you do not have to provide that to them. Uh, so what I tell people is, look, you have to assess here sort of the practicality of the situation. Because on the one hand, if your policy doesn't obligate you to give them this blanket authorization to get you know, uh, all your medical records, and instead you're offering to provide it to them on an as-needed basis, meaning that if they need it from your family doctor for the last two years, you're going to go get it and give it to them. You know, if you want to take that position, that's okay. You'd be entitled to do that legally. However, however... Uh, there is no legal claim going on, right? It's just you and your insurance company. So you have to be prepared that although you may be legally correct in taking that position and saying, I'm not signing an authorization, I will simply give you what you need as you ask me for it, you may be in a situation where by doing that, your adjuster may not be happy about that and find an excuse to then hurry up you know, the end of your claim to cut you off. 
So you see what I'm saying, John? You know, my job as a lawyer, as an LTD lawyer, is to give you, uh, you know, the public out there as well as my own clients advice, not only from a legal standpoint, but also from a practical standpoint. And I often compare this to going to a doctor. You know, if you go to a doctor, a surgeon, you know, that surgeon is going to look through your problem or at your problem through the prism of uh, surgery, right? Many of them are going to say to you, there's a surgical option, but you want the doctor that's going to tell you, look, there's a surgical option, but practically, here's what else I think you should consider. And I think that as a lawyer, I have an obligation. It's not, not just from a disability standpoint. If you go to a family law lawyer, a tax lawyer, it's one thing to give you advice on the law. It's another thing to merge that advice on the law with practical advice, what I think you should do. And so what I tell people is, unless you have a really serious problem with providing that kind of an authorization, consider carefully if you want to deny the adjuster that right. I mean, do you really have uh, concerns about them getting this information that they need? Because really, what do they need this information for? They need it to simply assess your claim. Uh, so, so that's that's what I want to say here that, you know, under most policies that I have seen, they do not have the ability to force you to give them a blanket authorization. In fact, I've never seen a policy that authorizes them or gives them the power to request a blanket authorization uh, to get all of your medical records. But you do have to consider whether or not you want to take on that fight because you will potentially sour the relationship with the adjuster and they will potentially cut you off at some point down the road for some reason. And, and listen, if that's the case, that's fine. You just come to us, we'll help you with that. But just consider that. Consider that approach. And, and plus, I mean, if you try to go it alone and, and battle them in that regard, you have no, as an individual, uh, no legal gravitas. They're not going to take you very seriously. I mean, they, you're eventually going to give you a call anyway to, to get in their corner, right? Yeah, it, it's exactly true. And I tell people, look, I mean, I answer <laughs> hundreds of emails a day and, and, you know, voicemails a day from people across the country who have issues with a long-term disability insurance company. And it's all for free. And I simply give whatever information I can. And you're right, John, oftentimes people get a little frustrated, not with me, but with the insurance company, uh, because I can tell them what their legal rights are. But when you don't have a legal claim going on, in other words, when it's just you as the person, as the claimant versus the insurance company, you know, you need to know what your rights are. And it's up to you if you want to stand up for your rights and tell the insurance company, no, I'm not going to agree to this. Or yes, I am going to agree to this and take the consequences. And the consequences may be that the insurance company does try to push their luck and trample on your rights. If that happens, this is when we come into the picture. But I try when I give advice, practical advice to have people potentially not have to contact me, you know, not have a situation where somebody cuts you off. It's self-serving for me to tell you, oh, you should absolutely do this and do that. It's your right. And then hope that you get cut off so that you come mm -hmm. to me. I, I, I start working for you and I, you know, I, I make a buck or two. That's not my goal though. My goal is to try and not uh, create that situation. It's to empower you so you know what your rights are, but also to tell you, here's what I think you should do, uh, you know, with respect to your legal rights, with respect to what the insurance company is asking you. And, and as long as I can give you that advice, it's up to you then at that point to make the decision you want to make that's right for you. And again, we're always here if you need us. If you're denied LTD, if you're cut off LTD, if the insurance company is bullying or harassing you, whatever happens, we are here for you when it comes to long-term disability. We know, the, we, know, we know the slaw better than most of these adjusters out there, most of these defense lawyers. And, and you know, the reality is they know us. 
so they know that if they see us on the other side of a file chances are they're going to end up paying our clients Again, that question came via mydisabilityquestions.com. That is available free uh, for you to use as well. And there's always the phone number, 1-855-821-5900. All right, pal, where are we going now? What else you got? All right, so there is an email that I had received uh, from um, uh, from a person earlier this week. And, and, and the subject of the email is return to work from LTD. This is a common topic. We cover it, I think, almost every show, John, but there's always a twist. So let's talk about this one. So this individual here writes to me, my psychiatrist has provided a letter to my insurance company telling them that due to my medical condition, he would recommend me, uh, he would recommend that I'd be accommodated for part-time work or reduced daily work hours. The insurance company is telling me that I have to follow their gradual return to work uh, program or they're going to close my claim. My insurance case manager is expecting me to respond and start work next week. It's hard to get a hold of my psychiatrist right away. I'll be talking to my family doctor on Monday about this, but that will be, uh, but will that be enough? So very, very difficult situation. And oftentimes when people are ready to try to go back to work, you know, there are different considerations that we have to look at. Uh, one of the considerations is you know, how do you try to go back to work? Do you follow what the insurance company is telling you in terms of what return to work program they're dictating, or do you follow what your doctors are saying? I'm going to tell you right now, 100%, no exceptions, you follow what your doctors are saying. Okay? The insurance adjuster is not a doctor. The insurance adjuster cares about the bottom line for the insurance company. You always follow what your doctors are saying. And there are two reasons for that. Number one, is it's a medical reason, right? Would you listen to the insurance company here when it when you know when we're dealing with your physical health or mental health, or would you listen to your doctors? I, you know, if it's me, I'm betting on my doctors. I'm gonna follow whatever my doctors, the people who are treating me, who care about me. I'll follow what they say. Chances are they're right, not the insurance company. That's number one. Number two, from a legal standpoint, I think that you are better off, and your claim is gonna be that much stronger if you are consistent throughout your your uh, disability and throughout your relationship with your insurance company by saying to them that without any exceptions you're following whatever your doctors are saying you're not going to listen to what the adjuster is saying if the what the adjuster is saying contradicts what your doctors are saying okay in this case this gentleman here has a psychiatrist okay so it's actually an md not that a psychiatrist is necessarily better than a psychologist. I actually hold both of them in very high regard. They do slightly different things. There are some overlaps, but slightly different things. Uh, but I do think this person must follow or should follow whatever their psychiatrist is saying. Now, the insurance company here, the caseworker, saying that if you do not follow our gradual return to, to work program, you're going to close my claim. Listen, they may do that, but I can tell you right now, John, that if they do that, they are opening themselves up this is the insurance company. The insurance company yep. is opening itself up to a bad faith claim. Because for you to say that, uh, for the adjuster to say, you claimant must follow my advice when it comes to how I want you to go back to work, which may contradict whatever the person's doctor is saying, is simply wrong. It's wrong. It's illegal. And frankly, it's foolish. 
because the adjuster here could be doing more harm to this person. So my advice is for this person to follow whatever the psychiatrist is saying. If the insurance company closes the claim, denies the claim, cuts off benefits, whatever, this person should be contacting me immediately because we will be able to help. And this is what people don't understand, many people out there. You have a lot more power than you think you do against insurance companies. They're betting on you walking away and doing what, they, what they're telling you to do. No, you should be doing what is good for you medically and you should know that your rights are what they are under the policy and the insurance company is not above the law and we can force them to pay you if they stop your benefits. Don't hesitate to reach out and at least have a uh, simple chat with Savan and a member of his crew. It's uh, it's crucial. It really could be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com is the way to reach out, and the email is help at disabilityrights.ca, and simply disabilityrights.ca will lead you to links to our long-running TV show as well. So have a look at that as we continue. Get into a short break and back with more Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes and, of course, Savan Tamarkin is here answering your questions. A couple different ways you want to send them over for the remainder of the show or any time for that matter. I mean, he's got an entire crew looking at these questions and answering them. Uh, when we're not doing the radio show, mydisabilityquestions.com, help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay. Next one, where are we going? So, John, uh, I'm going to take you now to another question that was posted on mydisabilityquestion.com, and uh, this one comes from Sarah in Toronto. And and here's what Sarah writes. Uh, I've been on disability, and one of the reasons that contributed to my depression, anxiety, and PTSD was due to the harassment at work. However, my depression and anxiety after two years was not just situational, but it turned into general. Um, Hence, I am on LTD. At that time, I was too afraid to file a complaint and was afraid of losing my job if I told anyone as the harasser was a supervisor at work. Also, I was in too much pain to even have the energy to do anything about it. If there is, is, is there a time limitation in Ontario for filing a complaint against the employer? Also, the supervisor who harassed me is no longer working for the company. Oh boy. Okay. So a lot to unpack here. And you know, one of the things that I always like to tout, John, and you know this, is the fact that we have a very unique law firm in that uh, not only do we practice in three provinces in Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta, but we practice in two interesting areas of law, which often overlap. And you can see that here. And the two areas are employment law and uh, disability law. And so what's interesting here is that clearly there is this overlap here because this lady here uh, became disabled and is suffering from anxiety, depression, and PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, that's serious, serious stuff because of something that happened at work over a period of time. Now, many insurance companies will take the position that because this is a work-related issue, you have to file for workers' compensation or... Um, you know, it's an employment matter. You have to go after your employer for potentially constructive dismissal, right? For having a toxic work environment. And that may very well be true. Okay. Very well be true. And I'll talk about this in a second. However, however, she also mentions here that her situation here is situational and it's turned into general. What does that mean? It means that if in fact, 
what's disabling you from working is your specific work environment. In other words, if we put you in a different work environment, in a different office, different company, you would be able to do your, your job. Well, then it's not necessarily a, a, an, an insurance issue. In other words, yep. you may not have a claim against your insurance company. Gotcha. The insurance company may be correct. Then, in fact, your recourse is to go after the employer for letting a toxic work environment brew and create this issue for you. However, in many, many cases, as is happening here, the situational, in other words, the situation itself that caused this, uh, these psychological issues that this lady is experiencing now turned into a general condition. And what that means is that it doesn't matter anymore if you put her back in her own office where this whole thing happened, or if you put her in a different company, or if she works from home, or if you, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter because now she has general anxiety about everything. She has depression. She has PTSD. It doesn't matter anymore if you put her in a different environment. It's no longer focused on where this thing happened. And, and when that happens, now it's an insurance issue. Now the insurance company has to pay you. They have to pay you LTD or STD, whatever it is that you're applying for. But many people don't understand that, and many insurance adjusters don't understand that. Some of them do. And they just try to pawn it off on the employer and say to you, listen, it's not an insurance issue. You got to just go after the employer. Well, that may be so, but you're not off the hook, insurance company. Okay? My condition is now generalized. I am now disabled from working. My doctors confirm this. It's no longer focused and situational and specific to my workplace. Now it's just general. I can't work anywhere at this point because of my condition. And when that happens, the insurance company must pay. And if they don't pay, we can force them to pay you. Okay? It's that simple, 100% period, full stop. All right. Now, her question here, in addition to this, so the LTD component, is can she go after the employer? Yes, she can. What is the timeline for that? Well, the timeline is two years. There's a two-year limitation period in all the provinces we operate in. Okay, and that's just a general rule. Are there exceptions? Yes, sometimes there are exceptions, but you don't want to fight those exceptions. Now. Yeah, exactly. Now, when the, the issue here is when you're not dealing like with a termination, for example, you know, John, you let go from your job on January 31st. Well, you know that you have two years from January 31st to, you know, start a legal claim against the employer for severance. That's, right. That's fine. Yep. But when you're dealing with a toxic work environment that builds up over time, there may be a question as to when that clock starts running. And so it's still two years, but it's t two years from when uh, you know, the, the injury occurred or, or when this damage occurred to this individual, psychological damage, or when she ought to have discovered that she in fact has that claim against the employer. Wow. So, so in a, in a case like this, I tell people, don't wait, don't wait, just contact us right now. And she's making reference here in that question. She says, however, my depression and anxiety after two years was, uh, not just situational, but turned into general. So it, this has been going on for a while. So I tell people, if you're in a situation where there's a toxic work environment, do not wait on that. Now, listen, John, sometimes people will come to me and say, I simply couldn't do it. You know, I had the lady contact me yesterday for her daughter, and her daughter was denied LTD three years ago. And I said to her, you know, you're out of time. I can't help your daughter. It was two years ago. Uh, sorry, it was three years ago, and there's a two-year limitation period, and she kept trying to convince me by email that her daughter's case is an exception, 
And look, when I say that there is an exception, I'm talking about situations where you don't know uh, that you even, you know, you're even injured. So, for example, a case like you know, you have a car accident, and, and you don't, there, you know, there is no diagnosis of even a, a brain injury, let's say, sure. until a year later. I mean, again, even that kind of a case has problems with it when it comes time to argue that you should be, uh, you should have an extension beyond the two-year limitation period for starting a, a, a legal claim. But you have to be very careful. So my point is, when you're dealing with long-term disability, if you're denied or cut off LTD, do not wait. If you're dealing with a toxic work environment and you think you may have a claim against your employer for constructive dismissal, for creating a, this, this environment that you can't work in, do not wait on that. Because the longer you wait, the greater the chance that you may miss that two-year limitation period to start a legal claim to get damages uh, that you are potentially owed by law. The the employment side uh, aside for now, um, as far as you know, a, being becoming a generalized condition, she would need, or anybody for that matter, would need their doctor's okay and diagnosis because she may have not, or anybody may have not tried to work in another place. But your doctor would know, you know what? If not for your workplace, you would be fine. It's not bad boss insurance. We get that that you wouldn't qualify. But your doctor would be the one to 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 do the diagnosis and say, you know what? No, you haven't worked anywhere else, but this is now clinically a general condition. So I can tell you now that you would not be able to work anywhere else. Is that how it would would boil down? Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. Pretty much so. When when we when I speak with somebody who is on LTD or is looking to be on LTD, and there is this question: Is it situational? Is it uh, a generalized condition? I, I always ask them: Look, what doctors are you seeing? What are they saying? You know, are you seeing a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, a family doctor? Uh, are you seeing a, a, you know, whoever you're seeing, whoever's treating you, they're presumably going to have an opinion on this. And look, look, I mean, maybe their opinion is wrong. I don't know. But that's the starting point. I want to understand. I also ask the person directly. I say, you know, if I put you in a different, you know, company now, a different office, would you be able to work? Can you do right. your job elsewhere? And if you tell me, yes, I can, it's strictly, you know, my workplace that is making me unable to work well in that case it's an issue with your employer and we can help with that again you know circling back we are an employment law firm in addition to a disability law firm we do those two areas of law so we have lawyers that specialize and focus on employment law issues and we have lawyers who do ltd disability issues and we have lawyers who do both hybrid lawyers and this is important and again the other reason it's important is because if you have an ltd case going on if you're being paid benefits by your insurance company or if you're owed benefits mm -hmm. by your insurance company and you have also an existing claim or going to have a claim for damages against your employer, you have to have a lawyer, you should have a lawyer that understands both areas of law because nothing is worse in a case like this than having someone get severance that they are owed for a toxic work environment only to have the LTD insurer say, aha, you got severance. Well, look here, under the policy, we are entitled to credit for that severance. So your employment lawyer who doesn't know disability law may have gotten you 30, 40, 50, 60 grand in severance, God. and now the insurance company turns around and says, we are owed that money because we're paying you benefits. You can't get both severance and LTD at the same time. And again, this is where we come in because there's ways to minimize that. There are ways to deal with that. There are ways, you know, when do we start the claim? Who do we deal with? Do we go after both at the same time or not? There are all these nuances which are case specific. But you want to make sure you go to a law firm that has that expertise in those two areas. Because if you don't, you may be very happy with your severance for a very, very short period of time.
1-855-821-5900 is the number. Uh, what else we got going on? That was an interesting case, by the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of them, John. You know, usually we yeah, have these outlines. We always laugh because we prepare all this material beforehand to cover, and yet, you know, I get inundated during the week with all these questions, excellent questions from people. Yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, listen, this is good. This is good. I think we can talk about this, and people can learn from these experiences. Um, and incidentally, there are thousands of questions on mydisabilityquestions.com. You can just yeah. browse them and just have a look for yourself. I'm the one who answers them. They're free. Uh, so feel free to, to you know post your questions and they'll be answered. You really uh, should get a count. I was thinking that just as you went account? into it. You really should get someone to count how many, how many, how many questions really because it's, it's, it's huge. It's, 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 it's massive and it works. You should get someone to count how many questions. I'm going to stick Ryan on that, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be happy with that. Uh, Ryan works with us. So uh, yeah. you know he's, he's one of our marketers. Uh, <clears throat> Marketing and media relations gurus. Um, so, okay, let's go to this question because I think it's interesting too. This one comes from Karen in London. Karen writes, I'm wondering, uh, no, she says, I've been on LTD for one and a half years now and they are doing a, an assessment on me. Um, and I am just wondering, my job is not there anymore. The company has shut down. So can they force me off of LTD? Like mm -hmm. she's asking, can they cut me off since I don't have a job to return to? Second question, they're also asking me to fill out CPP disability papers, which is fine, but do I say that I don't have a job to return to now? In other words, this person doesn't know how to fill those papers. So I'm going to answer this really quickly because I know we have to take a break. So John, first of all, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is the answer to this to, for everyone out there. Uh, it doesn't matter that your company uh, has shut down. If you're an LTD, your relationship with your insurance company is independent of your employment now. In other words, you're now on, 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 on claim. They cannot cut off your benefits just because your company has shut down or switched insurers or fired you or whatever it is. They cannot cut you off from that. Okay, As to whether or not you would qualify for LTD into the future, that depends if you remain disabled. Irrespective of how your company is doing, if it's still there or not, you should continue getting LTD and should not be cut off payments unless you are no longer disabled. We'll take a short break, guys. Got uh, more on the way. You want to uh, you want to have some correspondence? Maybe get your uh, your stuff read on the show for some answers. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number anytime. Toll free, of course. And as we've used it several times, you can also use mydisabilityquestions.com because Ryan's always looking for more work. So mydisabilityquestions.com is that uh, questions. Uh, website you can use by the way we'll get back to it after a short break disability law show on global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto all right, welcome back. Disability Law Show reaching out anytime, not just the uh, the hour that we're on. Of course, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca and disabilityrights.ca. The website is a place to go, among other things. You can find links to our long running television show there as well. It's really cool. So check that uh, check that out. Okay, man, take it away. Next letter, next case. All right, John. Another interesting question here um, posted on mydisabilityquestion.com. This one comes from Tom in Mississauga, and here's what Tom writes. 
I've been on LTD for six months. I've also recently been approved for CPP disability. Mm. My LTD insurer wants me to go to an independent medical examination to verify my doctor's report regarding my physical and cognitive abilities. The insurance company told me that I've been approved for two years until the change of definition, and that's why they want me to go to the IME. So there will be no interruption in benefits after the two-year mark. Is this something I must attend? Thanks very much for taking the time. All right. Again, <clears throat> we've we've talked about this uh, quite a lot, but there are always nuances here. So I, I want to really flesh that out. And some people who have heard me talk about this issue, you know, you may learn something new here as well. Uh, so number one, he's been on LTD for six months. It's interesting to me that only after six months, the insurance company now wants him to undergo a medical examination and, and that they're telling him that he's been approved for two years until the change of definition. So again, back to basics. Most LTD policies, uh, they they basically outline and state that to get LTD for the first two years, you have to demonstrate with the support of your doctors or health practitioners that you cannot do the essential tasks of your own occupation. Okay, underline the word own occupation, the phrase. Yep. Beyond the two-year mark, the question now is, can you do the essential tasks of any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience? So if you're a plastic surgeon, it's not within your training, education, or experience to go and work at Tim Hortons. No offense to anyone at Tim Hortons. I like Tim Hortons, oh, yeah. but that's not what you know the policy requires you to do. And when we look at, at you know the test, the commensurate income test, and, and, and you know those kinds of things, should you be approved beyond the two-year mark, we're basically trying to figure out if you can do another job, another occupation that will pay you 60 to 65% of your pre-disability income. So if your pre-disability income was 100 grand a year, just to throw a number, easy number, if after two years you can do another work, another job, uh, another occupation where you can get paid uh, 60 to $65,000 a year, chances are that the insurance company may be correct in telling you that you're not approved after the two-year mark. But in quite a few instances, John, uh, people are told that, look, we have now assessed your claim, we have had you seen by one of our doctors, or we've had you do a transferable skills assessment to figure out what skills you can transfer to a different job, and we think that you can do one of the following 10 jobs. And maybe one of the following 10 jobs, John, actually will pay the person 60 or 65 or 70% of their predisability income. But the analysis doesn't end there. Because I have people who have worked in the same job for 30 or 40 years, who are now 50 and 60 years old, who are telling me, yeah, those other jobs that they're outlining will pay me the 60, 65, 70% of my predisability income, maybe even more, but I have no clue how to do these, these jobs. Yeah, I'm not trained for it. I'm not trained for it. So remember that the test is not can you do something else, it's can you do another occupation, can you perform the essential tasks of an occupation, any occupation for which you're suited for, that's the key. And in this case, this person here, he's on CPP disability, so you have to understand that the government, the federal government has confirmed that from their standpoint, this person has a severe and prolonged disability. That means that the government recognizes that they cannot work. And it's not easy to get CPP disability. Okay, I want to make that clear. In fact, arguably, it may even be harder than getting LTD. Yeah. I can, I, many of my colleagues hold that view. James holds that view, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know. So uh, it's interesting to me that the insurance company is, despite this, 
asking him to see one of their doctors. Now, does he have to go see and assess? Does he have to go and, and be assessed and see one of their doctors? Yes. 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 If you are asked by your LTD insurer to go see one of their doctors, whether it's a virtual assessment or in person, whatever it is, it, we can talk about those specifics, right? But do you have an obligation under your LTD policy to be assessed if the insurance company asks you to be assessed? Yes, you do. But when they ask you to go and see one of their doctors, they call that an independent medical examination. It's anything but independent. Why? Because the insurance company is the one paying for this doctor. And chances are the insurance company has this doctor on a roster, meaning that they keep sending these kinds of claims to this doctor. So this doctor is probably making a lot of money off of these assessments, which means that this doctor probably cranks out opinions which are favorable to the insurance company, which often contradict what your doctors are saying. Not in every case, okay? I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I'm not saying these doctors who do these assessments are bad people. No. In fact, many of these doctors actually work both for insurance companies and for individuals, you know, in legal claim settings. But you have to understand that with the insurance company wants you to be, quote unquote, assessed by an independent medical examiner, chances are the insurance company is banking on getting an opinion that will allow them to then cut off your benefits. So you have to be prepared for that. And we talk often about what do you do to be prepared for that. You gotta be truthful. You gotta ask your adjuster for a copy of that independent medical examination report, okay? So it's really important to understand all this and that you know, if you have questions about this topic, you reach out to me. If you're cut off as a result of one of these assessments, you reach out to me because I will tell you what you need to do, okay? You're not without options. There's a menu of options, but you have to take that first step or you gotta go to mydisabilityquestions.com and post your question or go to disabilityrights.ca. And again, there's a lot of information there, a lot of shows there empower yourself get this information trust me you will feel that much better and you'll understand that the insurance company is not above the law yeah and you know ass assessments different than treatment i mean you still have carte blanche or at least you still have the final say of who your practitioner are whether it be physiotherapy or otherwise the assessment yeah you got to go but you can still pick your own uh, your own it's to your own choosing for your treatment correct as you 100% and in fact i think you should you should yep go to whichever clinic or doctor you want to go to and whoever your doctor, you know, your family doctor or friends or whoever it is, you know, recommends. I would not go to a clinic recommended by an insurance company, not because the clinic is bad, but because I am suspicious as to why the insurance company wants me to go to that specific clinic. Just like if I had a car accident and I had to repair my car and the insurance company says, you got to go to that specific body shop. Well, why are you sending me to that specific body shop? I just don't trust the insurance company. I think that they have a motive here. And oftentimes I end up being correct. People contact me and tell me, look, I went to the clinic the insurance company sent me to and I'm still not better, but my physiotherapist is telling the insurance company that I'm ready to go back to work. Hmm, that's interesting. Interesting that the physiotherapist from the clinic that the insurance company told you to go to is telling the insurance company you're all better. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that guy is a great physio or that girl guy, you know, but again, I am suspicious when the insurance company tells me or tells one of my clients, you got to go to that particular clinic. They're really, really good. Maybe they are, but that's a red flag for me, for them to tell you, go to that specific doctor or that specific clinic for treatments. I would not do that. one 821 5900 is that number. Write it down. Use it. Spread it around to your friends or colleagues who are looking for some help as far as the disability insurance claim is is concerned or anything under that umbrella, you want to reach out by email, help at disabilityrights.ca. And finally, mydisabilityquestions.com. That's what we've been using during the entire show. More of that coming up. Short break. Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. 
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Disability Law Show, a few minutes to go, so we'll uh, we'll get right to it. one 821 5900 website is disabilityrights.ca and the email is help at disabilityrights.ca. That is exactly where we're going for Svetlana. says, hey guys, my husband worked in manufacturing for many years until he had a stroke about two and a half years ago, which left him with paralysis on one side of his body. He needs help with bathing and self-care. He definitely can't go back to his job. He was initially approved for short-term disability and then he was denied LTD, but then they reversed their decision when they got all the reports from the doctors. Now, almost two years later, They want him to try to go back to work in some capacity. He can't. It's not a question of whether he wants to do it. He simply can't do it. He has difficulty walking and standing, so I don't understand why they're pushing him like this. His doctors are very supportive and say that he should remain at home. I'm wondering if we can somehow get them to back off and if you have any suggestions on how to approach them. Svetlana, thanks for reaching out. Um, Yeah, this is a very tough situation. Not tough vis-a-vis the insurance company, because I think that they're being stupid here, but tough in terms of what you're dealing with and your husband's dealing with. You know, having a stroke like this, John, I mean, that is oftentimes something that will now last forever in terms of the symptoms and the uh, disabling conditions. And, And the fact that the insurance company, you know, initially denied the claim and then reversed when they understood that they were being dumb. Uh, and they understood that they had no choice. Two years later, during that change of definition uh, date, is what we just talked about in the last segment, insurance companies trying to force them back. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Svetlana, they cannot force your husband to go back to work. And what you need to do with with your husband's consent, obviously, is just get updated uh, uh, letters from each of the doctors that is treating him. The more, the better, okay? There is strength in numbers. Uh, I often tell people, if you can get three letters, it's better than two. Two is better than one, okay? It doesn't mean you have to have three, four, five, six letters, but the more, the better, okay? Really, really important to understand that. And really what your doctors or his doctors need to say is he cannot go back to work in any capacity, if that's their opinion, and here are the reasons. So it's not enough. It's not enough for the doctors to simply say, stay off work. Okay, this is not a sick note. Okay, this person has a cold and they have to stay home. No, this needs to be more robust. The doctors need to actually write out. I'm not talking about doing, you know, a thesis here. Okay, we don't need a 10-page report, but we need at least a paragraph or two, maybe three, explaining what you know, the progress has been, the fact that your husband is undergoing various treatments, what the prognosis is, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they need to say, this is why we believe it would be against medical advice for him to go to any type of work at this point in time. And once they put that down on paper, again, it's not brain surgery, okay? They just have to give their medical opinions here. You give that, Svetlana, to the insurance company and you give it to them in writing, meaning you email it to them and you tell them, that your doc, your husband is not ready to go back. And if the insurance company insists on him trying to go back despite that and gives a deadline and says, if by so-and-so date he does not try to go back to work, we will cut off his benefits, you let me know immediately and I'll get involved or someone on my team will get involved. Chances are once we get involved, the insurance company will immediately back off because as soon as we get involved, 
the insurance company understands that it's going to cost them a ton more money to fight us right they understand that they're not dealing now with the injured individual the disabled individual and their family who are in a very precarious state they are now dealing with legal minds people who probably know the law better than they do and they understand that the net result of that is that they're going to have to spend a lot of money defending a case like this and i i want to i want to just zoom out for a second john it's just something we've talked about before and just to to remind some of our listeners and any new listeners my background it's not just disability and injury law, as well as the rest of my team, okay? It's, it's the same background, uh, but it's also of having worked for insurance companies in the past. Right. So I represented insurance companies, and I represented uh, insureds that were insureds that were sued, and the insurance company hired me and lawyers like myself to defend their insureds. And so I, in my early days, in my practice, uh, I, I, it would always be interesting to me to see how insurance companies, my clients back then, reacted to these kinds of claims, to, specifically to injury claims. That's what I was dealing with mostly. And, and what I found out is that insurance companies may be very bullish with a person when the person doesn't have a lawyer or when the person has a lawyer that's not highly thought of. But they're much less bullish and they're much more risk averse when they have someone on the other side, a lawyer, a law firm that has a reputation that has the resources and expertise to take them on. And the reason for that, very simple reason, because it's all about money. As soon as I was, when I was defending a claim, as soon as I told my adjuster that I was reporting to, that on the other side of a particular claim, there was a certain lawyer or law firm, and my insurance company, my adjuster would recognize the name, you know, they would make a calculation of how much more is that going to cost them to fight that fight and only to eventually have to pay anyways insurance companies are not dumb they understand that at the end of the day it's a mathematical calculation they try and figure out what their exposure is in other words what can happen at trial if this ever goes before a judge and they try to pay more now to avoid that eventuality because if they have to fight you all the way not only can they potentially be on the hook for everything they owe you but they have to pay their lawyers I don't remember a week that went by when I was doing defense work when one of my adjusters did not simply ask me, when are you shutting down this claim? When are you settling this one? <laughs> because they hate paying lawyers' bills. Even when you're dealing with lawyers who are in-house lawyers, you know, the insurance company still has to pay their salaries, their benefits, whatever other perks. Insurance companies don't like to do that. So what I'm saying, Svetlana, here about your husband is that it seems to me like a clear-cut case here. Your husband should be off work. The insurance company does not have leverage based on what I'm reading here, based on uh, you know, your email. They are simply playing the odds that you will walk away, that your husband will walk away from, their, from his LTD claim, or that he will try to, in fact, go back to work against medical advice. Don't give them that. Don't give them an inch. Because if you give them an inch, they'll want everything. And their mm. goal at the end of the day is not to pay your husband. Now, I don't know how old your husband is, but I can tell you, John, do quick math for people out there. You know, the average claim that I see is two or $3,000 in LTD a month. That's twenty four to $36,000 a year. If you're 55 years old and you have a policy that goes to 65, that's what? two hundred and forty to $360,000 worth of a policy. If you're younger, yeah. you have more severe injuries or illnesses, if your LTD is higher, five or 6,000 a month, I mean, you can be in the mid to high six figures that you're owed. No wonder these insurance companies are playing the odds. 
Because if they deny or cut off the, uh, these claims for 10 people out there and nine people choose to simply walk away and the insurance company calculates that they only have to pay one of these claimants or two of these claimants, how much money they're pocketing that's not, you know, that, that, that doesn't belong to them. That is the model. Love it or hate it, that is the model. That's why I'm telling people out there, I'm not the only disability lawyer. There are other people that do this kind of work in every province that we operate in. But we know our stuff. We know what we've helped a ton of people. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We are done. Disabilityrights.ca is the website. The email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for all the questions, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next time. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.